Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Eva serves hundreds of private label seven figure sellers. To get a 15 day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon private label and custom product sellers. We are talking to Mina Aleas. We're getting a, an absolute masterclass in Amazon and selling and product development from this man. So we are going to talk today about when life is a little bit tougher than, than all the advertised sitting on a beach, kind of, you know, accounting your passive income and the realities of how to deal with that. So first of all, welcome back to the show. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. You're such a live wire. We're going to plug into some of that energy now and and get some can-do juice into this current situation. So obviously, the big current challenges, I would say, and I'd be very interested to hear what challenges you're experiencing and above all, how you're handling them, I would say it's obviously international freight's getting incredibly expensive. Maybe it's 8x, maybe it's a 10x, i.e. a thousand percent increase on this time last year. It's really delayed. Sometimes it's taking, you know, China to UK or USA. It's taking double the usual times. Amazon PPC seems to jumped up about 50% year on year. Maybe it's even more at the time of recording in October 2021. And uh, not least, also Amazon FCs, the, the old warehouses, are not accepting stuff from some of us sometimes. And sometimes, as usual with Amazon, change it quite quickly and without giving allegedly any good reasons so these are the problems i'm seeing out there what, what are you experiencing and, and what are your solutions to you know these big things what are you grappling with yeah so i have a, a few problems myself you know when you talk about amazon uh, rising costs of uh, ppc it's definitely a real thing i don't think that it's inhibiting enough uh, yet and uh, i just want to kind of explain to people like the way that i think about it when i look at the entire funnel but Essentially, what we're doing is we're launching campaigns on Amazon and we're getting impressions. And then through those, those impressions, the products are getting a certain number of clicks and we get a click-through rate. And then through those number of clicks, we're getting a certain conversion and then we get a conversion rate. And so the, the, the different stages here I see are what is the cost to drive one unique visitor to our uh, listing. And then, you know, for the same amount of uh, impressions, how can we get more people into our listing? And then for the people that are in our listing, how do we get more people to convert? So essentially I, I have the three KPIs, cost per session, click-through rate and conversion rate that I'm really focused on. And I will make a list of every single thing that I can fix to, or that I can split this to improve my click-through rate and my conversion rate. Cost per session, we're not going to, I mean, I'll cover it really quickly. Actually, it's, it's a PPC. That's like my bread and butter, but with click through rate, you know, it's the main image, the title, the, the uh, reviews, the rating, the price, if you have coupons, all of this stuff. So I'm constantly testing different main images and, you know, pickfoo.com is a really good test for that. If you don't want to go straight live test, uh, I love to go straight live test, but if you maybe don't have the courage to go straight live test, you can always go to PicFu and you can put your main image with a new main image next to it. Some people will say, well, what are you spent testing on the main image? 
it's packaging, it's orientation. It's, you know, one of my supplement bottles, I put a little star uh, that looks like it's part of the product, but it not really is, but it says, you know, hundred servings or 25 cents per serving, whatever, just kind of to like change things up and see if any of these different main images, and, and I have one where the product is right there, one where the product is, you know, shot from up and kind of turned to the side. So I'm testing all these different things. I'm adding different coupons. I'm adding different, like, you know, a dollar or a percentage or this or that. And I'm trying to hone in on the highest click-through rate possible, you know, and, and since if we're split testing price or whatever, to achieve the highest profitability. So trying to to really move the needle there. With conversion rate, it's again, I'm testing different uh, images out of the eight images. I'm adding different videos. I'm changing the bullet points and the description. I'm changing the title, moving keywords around. Same with the price and reviews and all that kind of stuff. And then also at the bottom, adding different questions, trying to, you know, do using Amazon posts, whatever, to get those Amazon posts on the product detail page. So I'm testing every single thing and I have a change log. And the change log says the date of the change the field that was changed, the old value, the new value. I have a, you know one one per skew. So, but if you want to do it all in the same one, you can just put the the skew or the ASIN or whatever, and then any notes. And oh, and a click through rate conversion rate. So every single time I make a change, I will snapshot the click through rate and the conversion rate, and and then you know since the last change, and then from there, my goal is to always every single time that I change something, look at the click through rate and conversion rate, see if it improved. If I did something that improved it, I'll keep the change. If I did something that didn't, I'll switch it back. And it's always test, 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 test every single week, like very aggressively testing every single thing possible to improve that click-through rate and conversion rate. Why? Because I'm buying this traffic and, and I'm you're buying that traffic once. And once you buy that traffic, it, you know, you, you can get a hundred clicks or you can get a thousand clicks from it. You can, you know, get 10 sales. You can get a hundred sales from it. It's the same. You bought that traffic once. It's, so it's going to be the same. So from there, you know, I'm really trying to get the most uh, juice out of my squeeze essentially. And then we move on to the cost per session. So I'm, I'm launching these uh, campaigns and the things that I'm looking out is, okay, do I have any keywords that are a little bit higher ACOS than desired or, or the ROAS is not where it needs to be? I'll lower the bids a little bit. Do I have any keywords that are spending and not making you know, the money that I need to? I'll lower the bids you know, there. Do I have keywords in the auto and broad and phrase campaigns that are, again, underperforming? They're either spending too much and not making enough sales or they're spending and not making any sales. I'll negative those. That's all to cut the cost per session because my goal here is to for the same amount of sessions that I'm getting, get it at the lowest price. And then from there, get more sessions at that price. And, and you know, we can also say, okay, for these keywords that where it didn't work out, where they were sponsored products, what if I launch a, a video campaign? What if I launch a, a headline search campaign? What if, I, you know, utilizing these different placements to, again, try and get a new customer for, for cheaper than what I'm getting now or, or get more customers for that same price. And so... Those are the three KPIs that I'm hitting. And so that's kind of in that sense of PPC spend on Amazon is going up. That's how I'm figuring that problem out. And, you know, it's, it is a problem, but it, the only thing that it forced me to do is what I'm telling you right now is just to maybe life was good 2017 and 2018, but now it's like a little bit tougher. That's all. So it, it's nothing inhibiting. That's my nice. first point. Wow. Yeah. So that's a really rigorous process you've got going there. By the way, it's simple, simple point, but having a change log is so, as soon as you said it, I'm like, duh, of course, but I, I, it's, 
one of those things that's very easy to skip you, you get in there you change stuff and then you move on and then you haven't clocked it and of course that seems like it, if you're very action oriented and you don't respect the value of data enough that doesn't seem that important but of course what we really want is the data right I mean, if i change x y changes in the data and, and you're so right to really be meticulous about that i guess that's where your like scientific training really kicks in right you have that background and you know the chemical yeah. engineering and stuff so and it took me a while yeah. yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, it does sound pretty rigorous. So the other thing is, obviously, um, we, we're talking about some of these shortages and supply chain issues and stuff like that. I know you've got a few a few solutions to that. So I would broadly classify this as you've got a lot of plan Bs in, in, in your business. So tell us a little bit about how that all works. How have you put that together? So, you know, one of my problems was the container uh, problem. So I sell supplements. They're in a container. And I got a call from my manufacturer. And he said, Mina... I'm warning you right now. And, and this is, again, thank God for my really, really good relationship with my manufacturer, because probably he wouldn't, if we didn't have a good relationship, if I didn't call him every single week, asking his wife and kids and all this stuff and sending him gifts to his house all the time, he would never pick up the phone and tell me this, but he picked up the phone and said, there's going to be a massive shortage in containers. I'm letting you know right now, like figure something out. And I'm like, you know, stressing at home and I'm like, man, what can I do? And so, you know, it came to me and, and this was also like through the conversation with him and stuff like that, but it, it, we came to the conclusion that I need a backup form uh, of that container and uh, it can't be anything China based or whatever, because then you're defeating the purpose. So either I'm going to get it maybe from Mexico or something, or I'm going to get it from the U.S. And something that's made in the U.S. is aluminum foil bags. So the bags that you see, some of the protein powders, the teas, whatever that are in, those are all full made in the U.S. The, the raw materials are in the U.S. Everything's in the U.S. So there's not really going to be a shortage anytime soon. So what I did is for every single product that I had, I created a two to three month supply of uh, bags for that product. And then I, I said to my design team, I said, we have a bag now. I want you to duplicate everything that we have on the website, on the Amazon listings, everything, but switch out the bottle for a bag. And the second that I hit that problem, which is so far we haven't hit the shortage yet but and run completely out. But if I ever had hit that uh, point where we run completely out, then instantaneously I can switch everything on the Amazon, all the listing images, all the enhanced brand content. I can switch everything on the website and my manufacturer will send in, you know, new bags and, you know, or, or it's nothing, it's like nothing ever happened. So that was kind of my first solution. Yeah. Amazing. And by the way, little hint that you buried in there, having a great relationship with the supplier is so important. Again, it's not just about getting a lower cost or something like that. In this case, it was about having a heads up about supply chain shortages. They're going to see it before you do. Right. So really, it, it, you know, something people don't talk about enough is that communication flow with the supplier. Often it seems to be a sort of adversarial relationship rather than like, if you both communicate really effectively, then your both of your lives are going to get better, right? So um, really super smart. And what I also love is the fact that you've got your plan B absolutely nailed and ready to go as opposed to just panicking which is like the default uh, in this situation so that's that's incredibly proactive and like hats off for that so i know that obviously one of the other things we've got is that supply chain costs are up for a lot of raw materials so tell us about your solutions there yeah so so I, a couple of times i i hit that like high supply chain cost issue and the first one was he called and he said one of my ingredients just quadrupled in price and I said, are you serious, man? And I, I think he said, he's like, yeah, I quadrupled in price and probably I can only get you stuff to last you for like six weeks. And I said, okay, what about after six weeks? He said, yeah, like there's nothing is guaranteed. So one of the things 
that I, you know, solution that I came up with was, and this might not apply to everyone, obviously, because it's very supplement specific, but I decided to change my labels. And instead of having a very like strict labeling, which I said, I have this much of this ingredient, this much of this, I created a blend in which that product, in which that ingredient was in a blend. And once I did that, I, it gave me a little bit more flexibility to kind of, you know, if that ingredient is almost out, then I can use a different ingredient because it's all in a blend. And so I'm not restricted as long as the whole blend reaches that, you know, number of grams, there's no issues with that. So it's like, it's one of those things I kind of was given uh, a constraint and I said, okay, what is all of the constraints that I have to meet and what, what is truly set in stone and what is not? Because in reality, I could have just, you know, uh, recreated uh, new labels and then and completely remove that uh, ingredient and put something else in. So it's all, always good to really dig deep and investigate what is my true constraints because there, nothing is really a constraint. It's always like what you want and then what is available. So uh, there, and there's a lot to work with. So you know maybe someone is uh, developing a product that requires like these different par- parts from China and the price went up, but what if you change the product slightly, it's still going to solve the same problem, but you're not using these parts anymore. You're doing something else. And maybe it's a temporary thing and then you switch it back. And a lot of people think like once you have a product out there, it's it's stuck and, and it's unchangeable. And I don't think that's true. I think you can, it, you change it a lot because the whole world is changing. And, and, you know, if whatever one ingredient is out, it's out. And so that's kind of one way that I combated that. But also I have to be real, like I raised my prices like everyone else did. And inflation is happening. I raised my prices a significant amount. My manufacturer raised this, but I told my manufacturer, is there anything you can do? My cost of goods went up to $2. And he's like, listen, like, you know, we thought about it so much and it's like, there's nothing we can do. We just have to increase the prices. And inflation is going to happen. And I'm sure all the restaurants are increasing their prices and everyone is, you know, all the stores are increasing their prices. So sometimes it's, Things are just, inflation is inflation. Absolutely. So I would say a couple of things. First of all, I really like what you're thinking about the the solutions around the products. As you say, identifying the real constraints and and what is set in stone. And I guess, as you say, as long as you're not mismatching a a promise or uh, something on the label with what people actually get, because that will get you kicked off Amazon and might be illegal. But that side... Nothing's really set in stone, too. is it? Yeah, exactly. Right. So you just make sure there's a match between the two and then suddenly nothing's really set in stone, is it? You're just offering a different thing. So yeah. uh, you, you have to have the mental flexibility to do that, I guess. But also, yeah, as you say, raising prices, that, that the entire theme of the last mastermind meeting I had with the um, seven and in some cases even almost eight-figure sellers in, in London that we meet with was basically the conclusion was mm, prices are going up on our buy side. Consumer inflation is a real thing. So let's have the, the cojones, you know, the stones to raise our prices and in some markets they'll be the first people to move and and that's kind of scary but i don't think that your competitors are going to be far behind i mean what's your view on that i mean are you following other people in raising your prices or were you the first no i wasn't the first to do it i think a couple have done it i was one of the few the first to do it but i look at my market now and everyone across the board has raised their prices the only ones that haven't are the ones that are using cheap ingredients and you know like there's a couple of electrolyte powders that is just all sugar and i mean when when you know, 90% of your formula is sugar. It's not really a big deal for them. So they didn't have to raise their prices, but yeah, maybe you can trick a few uneducated consumers, but the general population is going to see that this is not a good product. And 
again, there's something about the psychology of pricing. And if everyone is priced at uh, 28 and you're priced at 1999, like it's three years ago, people might say, yeah, there's something wrong with this product. So I think I'm still in line with where my competitor, where I was with my competitors. So I still have the competitors that were more expensive are now $3 more expensive. The competitors that were a little bit less expensive were still like $2 less expensive. And I'm still in that range. And, and, and you know, uh, someone once told me you should always be competing on offer, not on like the value, which is like a super kind of like it really hit me. It's like someone should never look at your product and start judging based on the price. Because if that happened, then your your offer is not compelling enough. And, and that's like an issue. But once your offer, like if you showed up and you saw like a, a Lamborghini or whatever, and someone said, yeah, it costs this much, you're not going to be like, well, let me see what the closest second to a Lamborghini is and kind of choose that option. Because that's the, like the offers of Lamborghini comes with the status of a Lamborghini. You're not going to get the status of a Lamborghini with another car. So you know, you're kind of, this is it. You're going to pay for it. You're either going to pay for it or not. And I think that's something that really stuck with me too. Either that or you end up with a Lexus, which is like the poor man's Lamborghini. And you're basically advertising you couldn't afford a Lamborghini, but you kind of aspire to one. You're better off getting a Mercedes. Anyway, my view, I mean, but yeah, you're right. The, the, The offer thing, to your point that you were making in the previous episode about the creating, um, you were saying you should look at what you think is your close competition because you shouldn't have direct competition. I guess in this kind of scenario, this is when it really shows up, right? If you're selling something that is a substitute for coffee, in other words, it gives you the benefits that coffee gives you, either the energy hits, but without the downsides, jitteriness, a, a sort of spike, and then a trough in blood sugar, right? Then there shouldn't be any direct AB price comparison, right? It shouldn't be a comparison shopping site and from what you were saying. And so it strikes me that this is the acid test, isn't it, really? When you have to raise your price, do people still buy your stuff? Because what you offer is unique. What's your yeah. experience with that? I mean, d- does when you've raised your prices, well, I, okay, I should ask the question, have you raised your prices where the comp- competition hasn't? And, and how effect, how uh, drastic is the effect on your you know, conversion rate, your, your sell-through and stuff? So I most recently raised my price about $5 and um, a unit, and I maybe took a 20% hit in, in my revenue, but my profits uh, are significantly higher. So all in all, the, the EBITDA of the business is still really good. Yeah, and this is one point that I keep trying to make to people. I'm like, Amazon wants you to play the game where you obsess about, you know, unit volumes as being as high as possible. But actually, if you want profit, you could probably sell a heck of a lot less in terms of units or even revenue and make more profit. And, and this is something that kind of is obvious. It's like, you know, accounting 101, but people don't actually do it, do they? I mean, what, what do you see? Uh, I don't know if you coach clients and, and things in this, thing, but what, what sort of... I love, that. You see? I love that you brought this up because I, I spoke about this uh, at a, a conference recently in August. And I was saying like, there is a very fine balance between like profit or there's like a balance between profit and scale. And so one of my products, uh, just one product was selling 70,000 units, so 70,000 dollars a month and you know the the net profit at the end of the month was something like fifteen thousand dollars, and it, and it was a lot of you know PPC spend and all of this kind of stuff. And then I said, you know what? Like, let me see if I can really like cut down. And I cut down a lot of the PPC spend, and my uh, sales went from seventy to like forty thousand dollars a month, and I still had the same amount of profits. And I said, why was I doing this? 
I mean, the numbers look nice when you want to like brag to some people, but like, who cares? You know, I, I stop even the only people that know my numbers are my accountant and stuff like my advisors, just so they can make like accurate decisions. But I don't care about sales numbers anymore because I know people who are making so much money in revenue and then taking home a lot less than I am, or maybe not taking home anything from their business. So at the end of the day, I was like, why am I reordering so many times for my manufacturer? Why am I picking up the phone so many times and calling my manufacturer saying, Hey, how's it going? What's the status on this product? When at the end of the day, I made the same amount of you know profit and, and my business was going to be valued the same because your business is valued on you know a gross profit or sales discretionary earnings. It's not valued on your revenue number absolutely i mean that's the thing that i keep trying to drive home to people i'm like look you can't pay yourself from revenue so it doesn't make any difference to your personal income from your business if you're paying yourself and it won't make any difference to the value when you sell it so it's just actually a meaningless number like revenue they say you know turnover is vanity this turnover is maybe is british word for revenue um profit is sanity and cash is king but like it's not only that it's just like revenues kind of doesn't exist because it never even hits your bank account if you're selling on amazon right it's a number that yeah. appears on your seller central account but <laughs> we never get it it points it's when you go to the arcade and and you get like a hundred points and they get you these tickets and and then at the end of the day, like, what, what are you going to get with those tickets? Because maybe they give you a million tickets and you can buy like a little teddy bear. And then you're like, wow, like this is, it's, was pointless. Yeah. I mean, my wife plays like Prance versus Zombies obsessively. And the thing is that she knows she's not getting paid any money for this. So she's like one of the best in the world every so often. I'm like, okay, but it's just a game. And she knows it's just a game. She's not deluding herself. There's anything else, not trying to pay the, the mortgage with it. So that aside, apart from trying to persuade people to, to focus on profit, which is kind of like, you know, pretty obvious and yet very rare in execution let's talk about happiness a bit because one of the things that suffers in this situation is is that people get very very stressed and understandably and god knows i i sympathize and but it's important to enjoy your work isn't it because we got into this because we wanted to be entrepreneurs and at some level we've got to honor that even in the difficult times mm -hmm. so how do you keep your head straight with this stuff and 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 how do you you know manage the workload as well so two different questions take it in whichever order yeah. you want how do I keep my head straight up? You know, and it's two things. It's number one, I try and stay like very non-emotional when it comes to the business. And uh, the best way to do that is, is when you, when you don't have a plan and you're just looking at the numbers and you're looking at sales going up and down and things like that, it's, you can get it pretty emotional. And it's almost like when you step on the scale and you just see your weight is going up and you're like, oh, you know, like I feel bad, like I'm getting fatter, but you know, because I have a list of like levers that I can pull, because I have a list of actions that I'm taking, and and because I have a very clear list of uh, key performance indicators, it's never hey my revenue went down. It's always like did my impressions get went go down? Did my cost per session go up? Did my click through rate go down? Did my conversion rate go down? You know what what happened? Did my number of keywords that are ranked go down? And so because I have those KPIs in there, it's instead of like oh I just got fat, it's like oh. I ate breakfast, like a too big of a breakfast, you know, five days in a row. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to cut down on the breakfast. And it's the same thing. It's like, oh, I noticed that my click-through rate and conversion rate went down. Well, like, let's dig deeper. What could possibly cause it? If you can identify the issue, no problem. Just start testing different things and, and improve it. And so because I have that kind of approach and it's a very action-driven uh, approach, I'm never emotional about it. I'm saying, okay, my revenue went down. Let's get to the root cause. Let's break it down. Which metric you know suffered the most in the last 30 days this metric suffered the most that's cool what are the levers that i can pull to improve that metric okay let's create a plan and let's start working on it so that's one thing another thing is also i have an agency and i have a, a, a business like a supplement brand and a lot of people don't talk about this but 
I was living off of my supplement brand and it was super emotional because the months that I did amazing, life was good. I, I, I always pulled the same amount of salary, but when I pulled the salary and the business was doing amazing, life was good. But when I pulled the salary and the business wasn't doing amazing, it was very emotional and I felt upset and you know, I was choking the business more than it was already being choked. And so when I started the agency, I got you know this cash flow coming in from the agency and I stopped taking money out of the business and started growing it as, a, as an asset. So I want to like also let people know if you're in the process of starting an Amazon business because you think that you're going to leave your nine to five job and then you're going to pull salary out of the business. I've been there. You can do it. It's just going to be very stressful because your life is on this constant roller coaster of maybe one month you're making good money, one month you're not making good money. And the only way to do that with only having an asset-based business is if you grow it big enough that you can, at that point, kind of pull money out without it being affected. So my friend who hit like, I think, 5 million or 3, 3 million or something a year in revenue, so significant amount and was pulling a $60,000 a year salary. So once it got that big, he was able to pull that salary out without, and even with the fluctuations, his salary didn't make a a big difference. So you can either wait until you get this point, or you can maybe go and and if you're unhappy with your job, right? And which is something that I would have done is moved and gone to work for something that would help you build the skills that you're currently using to build your business, but also be in a happy environment where you don't feel like you're in a rush to quit your job so much and still have some cash flow, but you're also developing skills that you can monetize and then maybe become like me where you have a service side and you use that service side to fund your life. And then if you if you have really good skills, it's not going to take that many hours a week and then spend the rest of the time growing your business and reinvesting all of that money into that asset and then sell the asset and then make the money there. So that's kind of a couple of things that help me, you know, stay level-headed and and you know, I think times get tough and I always think about like truly the the worst worst case scenario. Every day I wake up sometimes things happen and I'm always like what is really the worst 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 case scenario? Um like if I lose all of this, like what what would happen? I would be sitting on my couch and then what? And then I really play out the scenario and it's usually not bad. It's usually like okay, you know, it's going to suck that first day, but then I'm going to get on the computer. I'm going to do one, two, three, four, five, and then I'm going to be able to do this and this and this, and, you know, everything will come back to normal eventually. So always playing out that worst case scenario all the way to the end, as if it's like a full movie in my head, allows me to kind of realize that none of this stuff is is a big issue. It's not really a problem. It's just my emotions that make it label it as a problem. Wow. It's, uh, it reminds me very much of that thing that I think Tim Ferriss talks about in the four hour work week, which, you know, the actual title is not something I endorse or some of the stuff, but I think some of the thinking in it's very, very good quality. And like that idea of playing out the worst case scenario and then what would happen if your Amazon business absolutely blew up? Well, maybe you'd have to go and get a day job for a while. And then you still got the skills, you got the knowledge, you got the contacts, you'd probably be creating a brand within the next year. And if you don't have the money, but you have the skills and there are people out there with the money without the skills, trust me, that people have tried to throw money at me in the past to create a private label brand for them. And I've said, look, I can't do what you want to deliver. So I'm saying no, but they had hundreds of thousands of pounds available. There are people with money out there. So I, I really like that, that I guess I'm painting a really bleak picture, but honestly, like it's not normally as extreme as that. And I guess all of us experience that moment where heart-stopping moment where your main listing gets suspended for three weeks or even worse and many people i know experience the entire amazon account suspended and it's uh, as a 
one of my clients put it a pants filling moment and it's horrendous for three weeks and then maybe a year later you're like oh yeah that happened and it was horrible but five years later you're like i can't remember which year it was now maybe it was december 2019 and you know it all falls into perspective right it's it's uh, very very hard to do at the time and it sounds like you're pretty good at handling that thank you for your honesty about the the agency and the brand relationship as well it gets better with every with everything with every you know bad thing. And again, I always like to like to tell people it's never good or bad. It's just a thing that happened. It's a fact, and then we're labeling it as good or bad. So I try and never label anything as anything as good or bad. Uh, I, I mean, good, yes, it's always good to be positive. But I ne- try and never label anything as bad. But then the more that these you know quote unquote bad things happen, you just start getting numb to it, and you're like, it's just another day. It's just another fire. <laughs> just another fire yeah that that kind of feels like an amazon seller speaking there that that's that's real that's actual real life yeah but i really like the the mentality that the thing you're focusing what's on under your control and finding root causes that's really really powerful and the other thing you were saying which is a very interesting uh sort of thought is that it always strikes me like a lot of amazon sellers it's a bit like you built a house that you want to you know property or real estate and you want to you know you buy a plot of land you build a house with, with great blood, sweat and tears. And then you want to sell it off for a large amount more than the raw materials and labor cost you. Great. But in the meantime, you're kind of living in it, but you're living in the kitchen at one end of the kitchen, trying to make coffee and look after your kids. And then the other hand, the other end of the kitchen, there's a builder with a drill. And it strikes me that some people, when you're trying to live off your business and grow an asset to sell at the same time, it's a very uncomfortable juxtaposition. I love that I yeah. use that analogy all the time. And I and I always say like b- building an Amazon business is exactly the same as bu- buying a plot of land. It, like a, you found a piece of land and you bought it. And what did you do? You put, you know, a 15K, 20K uh, launch. So you bought the plot of land for whatever it costs. And then you're hiring the architect and engineer and then there's whoever is going to do the zoning, all this stuff and you're building and building and you know, it's, it's a lot of putting money in, 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 and never seeing any return. And then, you know, when you rent it out, uh, once it's all done, you might see some return. Or then when you sell the entire house with the land and everything, maybe you paid a hundred thousand for the piece of land and you sold the house for 750,000. So that's kind of uh, like the analogy is that's how your Amazon business is going to be. The second that you buy this land, you know, you might be kind of sold on like some people immediately brought in like 10 tents and they made it a glamping thing. And wow, they're like cash flowing in the first month. Right. And and there's a lot of people that sell that dream, but not everyone can do it. And, and uh, maybe they just had like some sort of exception or maybe they're lying. And, but it's essentially going, buying an, creating an Amazon business is exactly like buying a piece of land. It's an asset. It needs a lot of investment, investment to develop, develop, develop. And then once it's an, an, an asset that can cash flow, someone else will come and buy it for a lot of money and say, yeah, because this cash flowing asset, I can add it to my other portfolio of cash flowing assets and create a bigger portfolio of cash flowing assets and then share the back office or whatever. You know, they have better supply chain and improve these things and make it more cash and all this kind of stuff. So that's the way I would look at it. A lot of people think it's something that you can start a business and make money out of it. And maybe, maybe like six months in, I was making uh, you know, a few thousand, four thousand dollars a month in profits. But as soon as I started taking money, the entire business kind of plateaued and started to die a little bit. And so that's what I would warn people. 
Yeah, I've heard from a lot of people that they, they kind of regret when they, if they take money out of the business too early. It's a bit like, you know, you've got a, a little sort of delicate apple tree and you start plucking all the stuff from it instead of letting the thing grow into a big, strong tree. As you said, you get it to $5 million in revenue and it's taking 60K out of it. It doesn't matter if the revenue fluctuates between annualized 3 million and 6 million. It's not going to make a big difference. But until that point, as you say, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having multiple income streams. People get very kind of purist about this. And like, if you've got the skills to run an agency on the side, or to advise people or maybe you work in somebody else's business and learn on somebody else's dime for a day a week whatever i mean as you say it's good to to just find a way that is less uh, like the way you put it get less emotional less of that roller coaster because us you know it's part of the experience for a lot of people isn't it but i guess what you're saying is it doesn't have to be which is really great to hear so look we better let you get back to you know building um your empire obviously incredibly effectively being fantastic to talk to you really feel like i plugged into the national grid here and getting all your energy and and great focus so fantastic stuff if people wanted to speak to you or hear more from you obviously we haven't even mentioned anything commercial at all but you got your ppc agency and training side i mean why don't we talk about that just briefly tell tell, tell us what you do there yeah so so um you know in terms of the ppc i developed that skill i think as an engineer i was very naturally inclined to like understand numbers and and optimize and you know data analytics and that kind of stuff so i got really good at it i you know started sharing value for free people started applying it they loved it i worked for them they you know i started getting consultation calls that kind of stuff and you know fast forward I hired an employee, uh, a couple of employees, they were managing my own stuff and people, you know, I had a couple of friends hit me up. They said, please, like we're dying. We need someone to manage our PPC, took them on and, and I helped a, an aggregator build their in-house systems and things like that. And so at a point I realized, you know, I have a really good skill and there's a lot of people out there that need it. And there's a lot of bad services out there. So I started offering, you know, the, the agency is called Trivium and uh, Trivium Group. And I started offering PPC management as a service, but I also early on created a a full tech tactical and like technical course on Amazon advertising, Amazon PPC. It's called the ppcuniversity.com. And that's where it's like, I think a 40 video uh, course where you just go through step-by-step every single little piece, you know, and every single action. And uh, it's almost like a a core, like a driving course. It's it's not like selling the dream where I say, you know, apply my PPC tactics and you're going to, you know, be a billionaire. It's just like, here's everything that you can do and here's how you can adjust it. And here's all the knobs and here's the best practices and here's everything that I've tested and, and the results. And you can take that knowledge and then apply it to your own things. And every case is going to be different. But if you have the, if you understand how to control and pull the levers and then interpret data and then make adjustments after, then you should be able to, to handle your own thing. Or if you just want to learn, because then you want to hold your agency accountable or you want to hold your VA accountable, which I highly, highly recommend, then you know I would do that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things when it comes to hiring an agency is that if you don't understand their business pretty much as well as they do, you can't really monitor their results. So, I mean, it's a it's a very very good point. That just you know, it's not about fire and forget. Is There's it, a lot agency? of swindlers out there. Yeah, well, I mean, and to be fair, it's just constantly shifting the sand. So they may feel they're doing a good job, and you may feel they're doing a good job. That doesn't mean it's objectively true. And the only way you're going to know that is if you know the business, I guess. So that's ppcuniversity.com, right? For that. So. And it's yeah, it's great to talk to you. I mean, I, I just feel like um, it's refreshing change that you're very, very sort of focused on the operation side and very little about selling your own agency. I have to kind of prompt you to do it because you're just very focused on, you know, doing the business. I think and you're you're a living example of the kind of mentality as well as the the you know success story and. Um, 
been great to talk to you, man. Really glad we managed to hook up finally. And uh, I hope everyone takes, you know, some valuable lessons from this stuff. I know. I, I hope know. so too. I mean, knowledge is, is nothing, right? Unless you uh, put it into action. So even if there's like a few things out of this episode, you know, you can always bookmark it. Like if you're listening to this in the car or something, kind of take a screenshot whenever I say something that you want to implement and then just go back and watch those parts and you know, write it down and just start taking action. And one thing that I do, I want to share with everyone. It's really changed my life. It hasn't changed my life. Okay. But it's improved every in my business, but every month I will look at my businesses and I will create three goals, maximum of three. I learned this from a friend, her name is Amy Weiss. Uh, and I took three goals and out of those three goals, it's like, what, what, like, okay, what do I want to look like in one year? So what are three things three goals that I want to accomplish this month that will get me closer to my, you know, ultimate goal. And then each goal, I break it out into four and then I schedule it through the four weeks of the month. And so that's really, you know, at the beginning of the month, I really look and say, what are just three things that I want to get accomplished? And it's really been helping me kind of stay on a, like a super straight and focused track. And if anyone thinks I'm, I'm super focused, I'm the opposite. I'm a very easily swayed into attractive things. And, and I wanted to touch on this when you talked about other sources of income is I tried a, a lot of other sources of income and I was like a little bit in this and a little bit in that and a little bit, that, and it really kind of all hurt me in the end. So if you're like me and, and you have like some focus issues and you're always attracted to like these different shiny objects, I think it's a really good practice because you always have to sit down with yourself and say, what are three things that I need to do this month that will move the needle in my business? And once you identify them, you break them down, you execute uh, that month and everything kind of moves forward. Nice. I like that. It's nice and simple. And um, so basically what I want the business to look like in one year, set three goals this month to get me close to that, break each goal into four, set it at one per week. And what, one, one of them simple. each week. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I like it. That's very, very good. And yeah, thank you for being honest about the fact that you come across incredibly focused, but, and that, you know, maybe you're you, like everyone else got entrepreneurial ADHD. I mean, I'm certainly absolutely suffer from that. So I, I know a lot of people that do as well. So that sounds like a good sort of counterbalance to that. So really, really, really helpful little hack that actually, you know, it's pretty, pretty powerful system by the sound of it. So listen, we better let you dash on. And um, thank you so much for coming on Mina Elias of MMA Nutrition. Been a real pleasure yes. to talk to you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling. And I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.